Hello and welcome to Voicebox, your weekly guide on public radio and podcast to singing and the best of the vocal music scene. I'm your host, Chloe Veltman, and it's wonderful to be here with you once again. When most of us here in the West think about the relationship between yoga and singing, the following sort of thing comes most readily to mind. Om Shanti 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 Om Shanti. It's a bit of a cliche, really. Those of us that practice yoga dutifully repeat this phrase when we're cued to by our teachers, but few of us have any idea what we're chanting or why we're bothering at all. Yet singing has been a fundamental component of yoga for thousands of years, and far from being relegated to endless rounds of Om Shanti, there are in fact many different ways in which the voice is used within yoga, from Vedic hymns and tantric mantras to devotional chants and Indian ragas. So what's this music all about? And why should we care about it? And what do the vocal techniques of the ancient yogis have to do with professional singers doing their thing on the stage today? To delve into these questions and more, I'm happy to be joined in the studio by Anne Dyer, a professional jazz singer and yoga teacher who specialises in yoga of the voice and runs a studio based in Oakland, California. Hello, Anne. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chloe. Thank you. I want to ask you how you came to be interested in yoga of the voice, Anne, but before that, I thought we could hear a sample of you singing in jazz mode. Here's When I Close My Eyes, the title track from Anne's 2003 album. Dark, everything's dark There's you, there's me Vague whisperings And someone is standing in the hall I'm tasting the sound of If you've just joined us, welcome. This is Voicebox with me, Chloe Veltman. To find out more about Voicebox, please visit voicebox-media.org and you can check out our free podcasts on the website or via iTunes. We just heard When I Close My Eyes, the title track from a 2003 album by tonight's guest, jazz singer and yogi, Anne Dyer. And so how did you go from singing this rather brooding form of jazz to developing a passion for yogic vocal traditions? Mm, that's such a good question, and funny enough, one I've never really contemplated before. I think there's a few answers. I think that in my music, I was always sort of searching um, for um, another plane of reality, I guess you would say, um, that music can take us into, song can take us into. And one of... Uh, my favorite compliments when I was performing a lot is once in a while someone com- would come backstage and they would say, I don't know what just happened out there, but that like blew my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was always searching in my music for to be able to take people into a zone that was sort of a little inexplicable, a little mysterious, where they were feeling things and not sure what they were feeling. Um, so I think it's really a thread that runs through my life. Uh, And then I think the other answer 
is uh, frankly Miles Davis. Miles Davis. Miles Davis. That uh, I know we never think of Miles Davis as being a great yogi, uh, but it was Miles Davis that really got me into modal music. Mm-hmm. And music it, composed in the modes, yes. as opposed to the regular scales, more harmonic, yeah. more har- harmonically oriented music, and. Um, through then, Miles Davis, I became interested in classical Indian music, which is a modal music. Mm-hmm. And all the while, I was practicing yoga, as we think of it in the West. I was going to class and doing mm-hmm. asana and that sort of thing. So eventually, those two things began to merge. Mm-hmm. My interest in uh, classical Indian music and sort of the uh, mysticism of mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. and what I was doing um, in yoga class. Mm-hmm. Well, right now you're working on a really interesting project to do with Yoga of the Voice in collaboration with the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. So it's called the VAC Choir. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and what kind of format this performance is going to take? I gather there's workshops leading up to it and so on. Absolutely. So uh, the title of the piece is VAC, Song of Becoming. And VAC is both a concept and a goddess in Indian uh, thought, and it refers to the world coming into being through sound and word. So the concert is inspired uh, both by that notion and by that goddess, and it's going to be structured in such a way, there's four levels to Vak. The world comes into being through sound in four distinct levels. So we're going to be articulating those four levels and using those as inspiration for the music. And we're going to follow the same trajectory that the Hatha yogis followed, which was to follow that trajectory back from its most material form of sound, which is sound as we think of it when we talk out Mm -hmm. loud, uh, to increasingly more subtle levels until we get to what uh, the yogis would call para, Mm -hmm. para vak, which is the ground of being. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course, we're only going to be using this as an aesthetic um, jumping off point. Mm -hmm. I don't I, I don't um, promise to actually recreate para itself, but uh, that is going to be the source of our inspiration. And, and we hope to not only create something very beautiful, but to carry the audience through an experience that they may be able to get a little bit of a taste of what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And their own relationship to sound. Okay. And you're assembling a choir of... Uh everyday people, not professional singers, right? Yes. So the concert is going to be built on a choir. Um, I'm shooting for 108 singers, Mm -hmm. and I'm spending a whole year cultivating the choir. And the choir will be trained in these yogic sound techniques Mm -hmm. that will form the material that the final music will be created out of. I'm asking for everyday voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although we do have some professionals signing up, which is fine as well. But part of my... uh, really deliberately wanting to bring in everyday voices is one of my missions in this piece is to really communicate that uh, singing is our is, is our birthright as human beings. Uh, singing is very much a part of being human. It's, it's not something elite that should be left to the professionals. If you look around the world, you'll see in almost every culture, I really can't think of an exception, that it's very commonplace for everyone to sing on a daily basis. No big deal. But somewhere along the line in our culture, singing became very separated from everyday life. 
became something that professionals did or, uh, you know, only the very, very um, tremendously uh, talented were allowed to do. And people developed a little bit of embarrassment around Mm. their voice or a little bit of shame around their voice, which I just feel is a tragedy, frankly, um, because there's so much to gain from singing. So I'm trying to bring that idea back into our culture that really everyone can sing. Everyone I've ever worked with, uh, because I do teach, I can sing and all honestly has a beautiful voice. So it's really just a matter of uncovering that voice. We have that nice anecdote you told me the other day about the, the women who come to you asking if you'll recommend CDs of lullabies to them, right? Oh, yes. I frequently get young mothers or, or pregnant women coming to me asking, can you recommend a CD I can play for my baby? And I say, of course, no, <laughs> I'm not going to recommend a CD for your baby because your baby wants to hear you. Your baby wants to hear its mother. Um, so that's how far removed we've become. Even uh, young mothers are thinking they're not qualified to sing to their babies. Hush, little baby, don't you cry. Mama's gonna sing you a lullaby. If that lullaby don't sing, Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. If that diamond ring don't shine, da 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 da. I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox, Public Radio's weekly series about the human voice. Voicebox is available as a free weekly podcast on iTunes and at voicebox-media.org. My guest is yoga instructor and singer Anne Dyer. Anne is a specialist in vocal yoga techniques and tonight we're discussing the ancient link between voice and yoga. I'd like to devote some time to exploring some of the many different yogic voice practices that exist in the world and how they might be useful to us, especially to those of us who are interested in singing. Given that there are so many, why is it that most yoga teachers here in the West either just have the students chant OM once or twice at the end of a class, or more often than not don't bother with any voice exercises at all, Anne? Well, mostly because when um, yoga developed in America and in the West, it was the uh, physical practice. It was the asana practice. Um, All the downward dogs. Yes. We're a very athletic culture, Mm -hmm. a very physical culture. And so we took to the physical practice quite readily. But uh, yoga uh, practices vary greatly. Everything from chanting practices to breath practices to meditation Um, to studying scriptures, Mm -hmm. to karmic deeds. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of different yoga, but it was the physical asana practice, the athletic practice that really took hold here. So most teachers just don't really, really know. And there's um, really not that much available uh, still Mm -hmm. uh, addressing this whole subject Mm -hmm. of uh, voice and chant and sound within the yoga tradition. Um, is it more prevalent in India, uh, the, the voice side of things, or even there? Do very see, much, very yeah. much more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do all the various voice practices within yoga share a, a common goal? Yes. Uh, the common goal of all yoga, uh, and of course this can be stated thousands of different ways, <laughs> Uh, I would say in its most simple form is to create more uh, 
subtlety of perception mm-hmm. and ultimately, uh, traditionally, to perceive consciousness itself. Mm-hmm. And there's many words for that. You could say consciousness, you could say God, you could say um, Atman, Purusha. Mm-hmm. There's a million different words. But that uh, sort of ineffable something from which we all spring. Mm-hmm. So... What's going on at the physiological level for you when you do your yoga, vocal yoga practice? Hmm. Well, different practices have different effects, Mm -hmm. slightly different effects. Um, They all have the effect of relaxing you. Mm -hmm. And they all have the effect of making you more alert. So those two things are in common. Certain practices will bring you deeper into heart-based feelings, feelings of love, feeling of openness, feeling of community. Uh, Other practices will engage the intellect Mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. Other practices will actually draw you more into a state of, uh, you might almost say, instinctual awareness, Mm -hmm. um, precognitive, preverbal awareness. Mm -hmm. So... um, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, I mean, the yogis are brilliant. You know, they came up with all these different practices to affect us on all the various levels that uh, we experience being alive. Huh. Well, do the yogic voice techniques share a common method or progression? Uh, they all progress from what we call in yoga the more gross to the more subtle, mm. the more material to the less material, the more ephemeral. So like when you were describing VAC a bit Mm -hmm. earlier, like that then, going from sound as we perceive it through to this kind of cosmic vibration or whatever you want to call it. And I can give you a really quick example of that. Mm. Uh, In uh, mantric meditation, Mm -hmm. you begin by chanting out loud. Mm -hmm. You learn a chant, you chant it out loud. Mm -hmm. And another thing that these practices have in common is usually a lot of repetition. Right. Uh, So you chant out loud. When you can keep your mind on chanting out loud, then you start to chant under your breath, Uh whispering. Uh From that point, you start chanting mentally. From that point, the words of the chant begin to dissolve. This is what I call the homeopathy of chant. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're not actually reciting the words mentally, but the vibration of the chant is still ringing. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that disappears once again into that ground of just pure vibration. So that's sort of an illustration of how it goes from more material. Whispering is less material than speaking out loud. Thinking the chant is less material than whispering. And each one of those is more difficult than the former. The more material things are, the the more tangible they are, the easier they are. On Voice Box tonight, we're exploring the yoga of voice with singer and yogi Anne Dyer. And I guess one of the most well-known of the yogic voice practices in the West is kirtan. Can you explain what that is, please? Sure. Kirtan is a form of chant that uh, has a lot of repetition 
It's really simple, uh, like Om Namah Shivaya is mm-hmm. an example of a kirtan. It's a little ecstatic in nature, mm-hmm. usually out loud with, with a community of people. Usually there's percussion. Mm-hmm. And all of these things uh, you might notice tend to be hallmarks of things that appeal to the general population. I see. And what's the thing about repetition? Why is that so integral, not only to this kind of chant, but to a lot of different schools? You're trying to create a permanent change in uh, specifically in your mind. Now, another interesting thing in yoga is when we talk about mind, we're not just talking about the cerebral cortex, mm-hmm. uh, heart, what we think in the West of heart, feeling, emotion, mm-hmm. and thought mm-hmm. are all part of mind. Uh-huh. So we're trying to shift both the way we think and the way we feel. And if you think of some of the mantras that we walk around with every day, you know, oh, I forgot to put money in the meter. Uh, you know, oh, I shouldn't have said that to my boyfriend this morning. I mean, those are the things that we tend to repeat in mm-hmm. our mind over the course of a day. Uh-huh. So we're, uh, in small part, re- replacing those huh. with Om Namah Shivaya, I bow to the divine. Uh-huh. And it takes repetition to rewire the circuitry. Uh, It's not enough to just say it once. And that's another reason why there's so many different forms of Mm -hmm. yoga and so many different ways, because we need a million different ways to actually accomplish the rewiring Mm -hmm. that we're that we're shooting for. Does that make sense? I think so. Well, I mean, practice makes perfect in anything we do. Right. Exactly. And repetition is 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 (laughs) the basis of all kinds of practices beyond yoga, too. It makes sense. Aristotle, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> a great yogi, mm-hmm. uh, said, we are what we repeatedly do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, it'd be wonderful if you could demonstrate kirtan for us. Okay, so I have this wonderful, this is one of the most, most favorite things in the world right now. I have an iPhone app called the Itampura, which creates the drone. Right. Uh, wow. So we're gonna we're gonna chant over that. That drone represents para vak. What's para vak? Para vak. We talked about oh. earlier is that ground oh, yes. vibration. Om is another word for that. Mm-hmm. Om refers to that ground of vibration from which everything springs, and the itampura is going to. <sighs> in yoga and in chanting, in particular, everything we do is in relationship to that ground. Whether we pull away from it or we dissolve back into it, that all of life, all of life is springing out of and going back into that ground. So just repeat after me. Beautiful. Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Om Namah Shivaya Good. So we know what Om means. Namah means I bow. Shivaya means uh, consciousness. So I bow to consciousness. So I always ask my students, what bows to consciousness? The ego. The ego bows to consciousness, at least for this moment. It's saying there might be something greater than my discursive mind, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> at least in this moment. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. 
हारे हारे बोले हारे हारे बोले नम शिवाया नम शिवाया हारे हारे बोले नम शिवाया हारे हारे बोले नम शिवाया हरे हरे बोले नम शिवाया हरे हरे बोले नम शिवाया ओम ओम सो यू कैन सी वी ओनली डिड मे बी वन मिनट बट दीज एक्चुअली गो ऑन फॉर डेज फॉर डेज पीपल चांस नम शिवाया for days without and stopping without stopping well i mean they 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 switch out right you know. <laughs> that you have to get up to go to the bathroom exactly and, well so why how is kirtan beneficial especially to to people who like singing kirtan works through uh essentially love mm-hmm. um there's different sort of portals to this experience of ground or consciousness love is one of them there's a wonderful sanskrit word sat chit ananda mm-hmm. which refers to kind of the three main portals sat is truth chit is consciousness and ananda is bliss or love mm-hmm. so some forms of yoga like kirtan the emphasis is on cultivating a feeling of love not love for a particular person necessarily although that's part of it but a general state of love a divine love mm. that is uh indiscriminate in a way i'm still not understanding why this is a beneficial practice why because when you chant kirtan and you're chanting devotionally you're chanting uh-huh. with love to uh-huh. the divine in this case krishna could be anybody you could chant kirtan to your dog uh-huh. if you love your dog it softens the heart yeah and when you feel a softer heart more receptive heart you feel more love you feel better uh-huh. <laughs> you feel better he shiv shankar he karuna kar suniye arj hamare he shiv shankar he Jagit Singh leading devotees in Hey Shiva an example of kirtan. You're tuned into Voice Box with Chloe Veltman. Don't forget you can access our free podcasts, playlists and all kinds of other info about our series at voicebox-media.org. On this evening's program and Daya a yoga teacher and singer based in Oakland is with me for a discussion about the ancient yet still very prescient relationship between singing and yoga. Let's move on to talking about Vedic chant now and you mentioned it a little bit earlier in passing. It's considered to be a more intellectual form of vocal practice in yoga than kirtan, isn't it? Um why is that? Some of the Vedic chants are, are especially the older ones are similar to other very old chants around the world. They have mm. to do with nature gods praying for rain, mm. praying for harvest, praying for a male child, mm-hmm. this sort of thing. They were used in rituals. Mm-hmm. so that they had a pragmatic use in rituals mm. uh and as 
the philosophy component uh, of this tradition evolved, they became more and more a vehicle for transmitting, educating people about philosophical ideas. Okay. So in chanting and in memorizing mm. the chants, you're imbibing uh, that philosophical understanding. And embodying that, it. Right. And embodying it. Well, let's hear an example of traditional Vedic recitation now. Vaksuktam. Is there anything you want to tell us about this track, Anne, before we hear it? Uh, yes, actually, I'm, I'm very excited about this chant these days because it's going to be a source material for the concert at YBCA, one of the, one of the pieces of source material. And it's written by a female rishi. Uh, it's one of the verses in the, or several of the verses in the Vedas. And uh, usually we're led to believe that there were not many women involved at that time as uh, seers or rishis. Uh, but this chant is attributed to a woman by the name of Vak Ambrini. And the chant itself is the voice of Vak the goddess. Uh, saying, I am this, I am that, I'm the other, I'm all things. Um, you, every, you owe everything to me, basically. Well, let's listen now. Vaksoktam. Om Vaksoktam. Om Sano mandre shamo chandohana Denurva gasmano pachashto taito Yadvak madancha vite tanami Rashtri this is Voicebox and I'm Chloe Veltman. I'm in the studio with yogi and singer Anne Dyer. We just listened to an example of a traditional Vedic chant, Vaksuktam. Don't forget you can access our free podcasts, playlists and all kinds of other information about our series at voicebox-media.org. That Vedic chant style sounds mm-hmm. very complicated, Anne. Have you ever, have you, do you practice this form yourself? How easy is it to get a grasp on as compared to the uh, kirtan that we were trying earlier? It requires a lot more discipline, and that's the whole point of it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, uh, as someone who, my musical background was, uh, has been uh, with a very strong accent on improvisation and mm-hmm. a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I've actually really enjoyed the sort of terseness mm-hmm. and discipline. There's there's another satisfaction that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's good for the brain. It's good for the brain, and it, and it resonates in the body in mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, what the Vedic chanting will do in terms of your experience, you were asking mm-hmm. me, how does these mm-hmm. actually feel? Mm-hmm. The Vedic chanting uh, creates a, a feeling of tremendous centeredness, groundedness, and, and clarity. Uh, so it's a wonderful way to start the day. If you're thinking of when should I chant, chanting Vedic chant is really nice to do in the morning. Vedic chant and Cheerios. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, 
I'm Chloe Veltman and this is Voicebox. We just heard an example of a Bija mantra. Uh, the singer was Uma Mohan. And what's a Bija mantra? It sounded to me a little bit like rap. Well, um, the Bija mantras are the actually, um, she was doing a little bit of a um, hybrid there. Mm-hmm. She was doing some Bija mantras and some other mantra. The Bija mantras are the one syllable sounds mm-hmm. Om, Gum, Shreem, Prem. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one of those is a bija mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to describe bija mantras as little uh, time-release sound capsules mm-hmm. because at their most basic, they have no meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not like a word that is a symbol for something else. They're useful in and of themselves, and they each resonate in the body in a particular way. Mm-hmm. And all of this starts to sound quite esoteric, mm-hmm. but I always like to encourage people to just try it for themselves. And you can feel for yourself the, the, the truth of it. It's not metaphorical. It's not make-believe. It actually physically resounds in the body in a particular way. Hmm. So each of these bija mantras will have a slightly different effect. For example, we can do one right now. Yeah, it'd be great. So if you chant Om, and you feel that in the body. Om, right in the middle of my chest. Good. And now feel I'm, I'm higher up. Higher up. And if we were in a real quiet place and we were doing this for a little bit longer, They're called time-released because you have to spend time with them mm-hmm. <laughs> for them to actually take effect. You would also feel that the I'm creates a feeling of much more um, presence. Uh-huh. Some people will describe it as a little bit of an edge, mm-hmm. a feeling that your energy is moving out into the world, whereas the OM draws you inward, mm-hmm. more towards your center. OM represents Shiva, consciousness. Uh-huh. I'm represents Shakti, uh-huh. the energy of Vak, sound coming into manifestation. And how is all of this useful to, to people in, in the modern world and particularly to singers? Well, it's very useful if you think of it as a capsule mm-hmm. because you could be uh, taking an Om sound, re- uh, sound release capsule instead of taking a, a sleeping medication. These bija mantras are not only used for uh, yogic practice, but uh-huh. they're also used uh, in, uh, in medicine. Called, yeah. Yes, Indian medicine, Ayurveda. So if you have trouble sleeping, you'll be giving certain bijas to recite. If you're depressed, you can't get out of bed, you'll have different bija mantras that you can recite. Um, they're good for yogic practice uh-huh. because they create a state where the mind becomes so quiet this is what yogis are always looking for, where the mind becomes so quiet that you have a perception of another sort of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, the bija mantras do that really, really well. And what about for singers? How can this be applied for people who, who perform and, and, and sing as a regular practice? Well, on the most basic level, all of this, everything we've talked about, will do wonders for your resonance. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. And... Really, if you look at all the great singers in the world, you know, everyone from Maria Callas to Billie Holiday, 
to Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. When you play a track, within three seconds, you know it's them. Yeah. Why? Because there's so much presence. Mm-hmm. They may not have a huge range. They may not have a lot of dexterity, or they may. Mm-hmm. But really what's striking the individual is that singer's presence. Right. And so all of these practices that we've talked about really take the singer more into their own presence. And the sound then becomes not something that's just rooted in the throat and coming out of their mouth, Mm. but actually something that their entire body, their entire being is expressing. You're listening to Voice Box. from classical Indian ragas, Raga Puriya Danashri, performed by a Bay Area-based performer, Sweta Javeri, and Raga Basant, performed by Padma Tawalkar. For full playlist information, please visit voicebox-media.org, where you can also find other useful information about our series like free podcasts and the upcoming schedule. We're looking at the relevance of ancient yogic voice practices on tonight's show. I'm Chloe Veltman, your host, and I'm in the studio with singer and yoga instructor Anne Dyer. Can you tell us about your own personal experiences with classical Indian music, Anne? Tell us about your studies in it and how you develop skills. You you play tampura, right? I do. I do, although I always joke there's really very little to playing tampura because it's just a drone instrument. Well, there's more to it than turning on the iPhone app. <laughs> well, that's tampura, true. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> that, that's true. useful. It sounds great, by the way. It, it actually sounds pretty good. Um, I got into classical Indian music. Again, I, I mentioned earlier, I was sort of primed for it when I went through my big uh, modal Miles Davis period. Um, I think the reason really initially was just that I just kind of lost my mind mm-hmm. when I heard it. Yeah. I mean, it just made me want to shout. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went and studied with teachers based in the Bay Area I, or did you go abroad? Well, no, I, I, I had a uh, opportunity to perform at uh, the Jazz Yatra, mm-hmm. which is a jazz festival in Bombay. Uh-huh. And then I took the opportunity to stay there for uh-huh. a couple of months and I took singing lessons every day. Oh, okay. Um, but what I was going to add to that is 
basically I just loved it. But the other thing was at that time I was quite active mm. as a jazz singer. Yeah. And I felt that it could uh, open up my singing. I see. And I really want to encourage singers out there, if you're looking for a way to increase your musicianship mm -hmm. and your um, technique, uh, there's nothing like traditional Indian vocals, classical Indian vocals. It's, it's a classical form. It's incredibly rigorous. And it works very well for Western singers who sing jazz or rock or pop because it works in the um, speaking range mm -hmm. versus taking uh, operatic training, which uh, Western operatic training can then be very difficult to try to synthesize mm -hmm. with your jazz or your pop music. Well, let's listen to a track of yours now, Anne, that demonstrates how you incorporate Indian classical music traditions in your own music. Here's Tomorrow Never Knows. tuned into voice box with me chloe veltman don't forget you can access our free podcasts playlists and all kinds of other info about our series at voicebox-media.org we just heard a track sung by tonight's guest and dyer tomorrow never knows now many western vocal artists have adopted eastern musical traditions and indian traditions in particular how does singing music that's influenced by indian practices affect you compared with singing in a more western jazz style Anne? I think that there's an awful lot of overlap, but uh, if I was to look at the areas that don't overlap, mm -hmm. I think that the Indian music, uh, regardless of the lyric or the raga, mm -hmm. always has a ground of what we of shanti, mm -hmm. which you mentioned in the beginning, of mm -hmm. of peace. Mm -hmm. So that, again, is what the tampura mm -hmm. represents. That sort of ground mm -hmm. is always, everything is in relationship to that. Mm -hmm. So you're always dipping into it and leaving and dipping into it and leaving. It's always pulling you mm -hmm. into a state of centeredness, of uh, a sort of uh, deep uh, connectedness to... Mm, all those good things that we're looking for in yoga. Mm. Whereas in uh, some of the Western material I sing is, I would say, tends to be more performative, mm -hmm. uh, more expressionistic, mm -hmm. um, more maybe egoic uh, in the sense uh, that I'm telling my own individual story, you know, how I lost my purse on the bus today or <laughs> <laughs> something of that sort, which, you know, can be very entertaining. Uh -huh. uh, I, I think that's maybe another word is that the a lot of times the more Western material can have a little bit more entertaining um, 
aspect to it, but not always. Hmm. So to what extent do you think the Beatles were aware of the ideas behind Indian classical music, of these shifting shifting our perceptions and awareness kind of stuff, when they wrote and performed songs like Within You and Without You, Anne? Well, they were going through a you know big period then mm-hmm. of uh, investigating Eastern thought and um, actually spent time in Rishikesh in yeah. India. And, I mean, certainly George probably, I would assume... Uh, you know, he spent more time with it. Mm-hmm. He was probably more knowledgeable about the nuances. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, all of them, I think Ringo was not so big on the whole idea. But I think John and Paul both really got into it uh, for a moment, at least, when, when those songs were coming out. Within You Without You from the Beatles' seminal 1967 album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I'm Chloe Veltman and you're listening to Voice Box. And Daya, a yoga of the voice expert, is with me for tonight's show all about the range of yogic voice practices and how we can harness them to be better singers. Um, and it was interesting when we were just playing that track uh, right now, you, you talked about the album of, of uh, songs that you created based on Revolver, the Beatles mm-hmm. album Revolver, um, like the one Tomorrow Never Knows that we played earlier in the show uh, is one of those. But uh, you said that you didn't make a, a cover of the song we just heard, Within You, Without You. Why? It would seem obvious because you know, it's already got that idi- Indian idiom going. I know, wouldn't it? Um, it's interesting because I'd kind of like to do it now, but at the time... I just felt like it it had been done. I, mm. I, I didn't really feel uh, like I could get a toehold on a reinterpretation of it. Okay, fair enough. So um, there's one more category of yogic voice practice that we have time to focus on this evening, and that's the Nada yoga. Can you give mm. us a brief overview of that, please, Anne? You bet. Um, so Nad yoga, Nada yoga is um, uh, nowadays u- used as sort of an umbrella term for... Um, this whole topic that we've mm-hmm. been discussing. But traditionally, Nod Yoga, um, again, was a practice done by the medieval Hatha yogis that entailed deep listening. Mm-hmm. And listening, once again, from the most gross to the most subtle, they had various meditations uh, to cultivate that ability to perceive finer and finer levels of vibration. So, For example, uh, they may begin with just a simple listening practice, Mm -hmm. which is just listening to whatever's in the environment, which sounds simple enough, Mm -hmm. but the mind wanders very fast, right? Mm -hmm. So once someone is able to cultivate a steadiness of attention to where they can just rest in the act of listening to the landscape of sounds outside of themselves, then they might shift then to internal sounds. And you might start with the sound of your breath mm-hmm. is a one that we use a lot in yoga classes today. Mm-hmm. Once you're able to keep your mind 
steady and re- resting in the sound of the breath, then you might go to a more subtle sound, like the sound of the heart beating, mm-hmm. then the sound of the circulation, hmm. then the sound of the nervous system, until eventually the Hatha yogis, uh, reputedly, could hear the sound of what we call the kundalini mm-hmm. rising in the shishumna. So the kundalini... <laughs> so many strange words. <laughs> I know, they're great words. The kundalini is the life force itself. Mm-hmm. Again, it is a form of vak. It mm-hmm. is shakti. Mm-hmm. It's the vibration of life mm-hmm. at its most basic. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, thought to rise through what's called the shishumna, mm-hmm. which is a central energetic channel in the body. Well, you interestingly suggested that we play a recording of John Cage's famous 1952 piece, Four Minutes, 33 Seconds, to demonstrate the concept of Nad Yoga. Um, I'm not going to honour that request because it might get mistaken for dead air here on the radio station. But um, please, can you describe what happens in this piece and its connection to yogic vocal practices, Anne? You bet. John Cage was kind of brilliant. Uh, he did a piece uh, mm-hmm. called uh, Four Minutes, 33 Seconds, and uh, it's just silence. Mm-hmm. The point of it is to listen and to find the music in the present moment of the sounds around you. Uh, so that is a way of just bringing your attention to listening. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. And the point, once again, because oftentimes people say, well, listening, listening to what? Uh, I just spent a week uh, doing a deep listening retreat up in Sonoma with Pauline mm-hmm. Oliveros, mm-hmm. who f- for many years has uh, been an exponent of deep listening. And a famous composer. Famous composer. Is that as long as you're listening, the mind is quiet. Mm-hmm. It's the same as when you're having a conversation with somebody. If you're really listening to them, you're not talking at the same time. Right. When you're listening, the mind is not talking because thinking is primarily silent talking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when you're in, engaged in a state of listening, the mind is being quiet. And that's the primary thing we're trying to do in our yoga practice is to get the mind to be quiet. Why? So that we can start to sense this other aspect of ourselves, this other aspect of awareness that is more subtle than the discursive mind. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about a bunch of different yogic voice practices uh, over the last, I don't know, 50 minutes or so. How can people decide which type of voice yoga to try? I mean, if you don't have time to do them all, um, where would you begin? It's a wonderful question. Um, and I think the answer is whichever one turns you on. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) So um, I'm a big advocate of following your inspiration. Mm -hmm. So if you find that any of these practices sort of ignite your inspiration, Mm -hmm. then go with that. And how can people find out more about them? Uh, Well, the... Of course, there's so much information now on the internet. Um, not all the information, unfortunately, is that accurate, but that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also welcome to come to my website, mm-hmm. www. yoga. That's for Mountain Yoga, uh-huh. my yoga studio. org. So m yoga. org. Yes, and I have uh, some material on there about these practices that I'm continually building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that's a a place I can uh, recommend. And also people in the Bay Area can join the VAC Choir and get a first-hand experience of how to develop some of these techniques and practices, right? Yes, we're actually spending an entire year cultivating the choir. You don't have to participate for a whole year. I'm doing three seasonal um, 
trainings, mm-hmm. fall, winter, and spring, where we'll be going into all these various practices. And again, that will be the material that we use for the final concert at the Yerba Buena Center. And people can get information about um, the VAC Choir also at m-yoga.org? They can, or more directly, you can go to songofbecoming.org. VAC, Song of Becoming, is the name of the program, and the website is songofbecoming.org. Well, that's all we have time for tonight, sadly. I'd like to say a big fat namaste to Anne for coming into the studio. Thanks, Anne, for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Chloe. It's really been my pleasure. And once more, to find out about Anne Dyer's VAC Choir Project, please visit songofbecoming.org. Voicebox is an independently produced non-profit project recorded at the studios of KALW in San Francisco. The series producer is Seth Samuel and the web editor is Victoria Lim. We need your support. Please become part of Voicebox's inner circle of vocal music lovers by setting up an ongoing pledge for as little as $5 a month or give a one-time gift. Either way, donating to Voicebox is safe, easy and tax deductible through our online PayPal link. And please follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook. And you can write to us anytime with show ideas, comments or questions at info at voicebox-media.org. I'll play us out with something that will guarantee to please, regardless of whether you're a budding Nard yoga practitioner or you think that the stuff we've been discussing on tonight's show is all for the birds. Namaste and have an omful week.